One, two, three. Hello. You have discovered the Felon File. Felonfile.com is a podcast exploration and discussion of law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Felon File is hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. Background Music Hard Boiled hosted by Purple Planet The sponsor for today's episode of The Felon File is The Raven's Glass Pub Asheville's Best Spurious Restaurant and Pub Scott, we're recording Greetings and welcome. As Victoria said, we are Felon File, and I am Scott Lunsford, your host, on this true crime podcast where we look at the good guys, the bad guys, some court cases, law enforcement activity in the past and present in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Today we're going back into the mountains of Western North Carolina, back into my home territory, Madison County, and in particular, Spring Creek in Madison County. We're looking at a shooting that occurred in 1955. Now, it's often repeated that most murder victims do know their killers. For the most part, this is pretty much true. Detectives are taught to look at homicides this way when they're investigating them. Eliminate the suspects who know the victim, and once those suspects have been eliminated, you can concentrate on individuals who may be unconnected persons of interest. Why did the homicide occur? Another issue that has to be looked at, what is the motivation? It would be impossible to really list the different motives and reasons one may take the life of another person. As you look back on history, we see that. The list would be infinite. Several issues do connect a lot of homicides. According to several studies that have been done in the past, crime perpetrators are much more likely to be intoxicated than the crime victims. Alcohol availability, how much is consumed, all these issues are positively associated with issues of nuisance, loitering, panhandling, disorderly conduct in open places and open spaces, domestic violence, and violent crimes. We're seeing this more and more in the city of New York, where individuals are being pushed and shoved or being assaulted for what appears to be no reason whatsoever. Now, other factors can increase the likelihood of alcohol-related violence. The temperament, a history of family violence, education or lack of it, delinquent peers, people you hang out with has a lot of influence on what you do and what you learn. Inaccurate views of alcohol's effects, not only in general, but on individuals. Some people are more sensitive to consumption of alcohol, Uh, mental health issues. Also, impact on how people will relate and what will be the outcome or possible outcome of an alcohol-related crime. In the early 2000s, alcohol-related crime in the United States was estimated to cost over $205 billion 
Now, this is twice the economic cost of other drug-related crimes that have occurred. Now, many times alcohol has been directly linked to criminal activities and violence. Excessive drinking can lower inhibitions, impair judgment, increase the risk of aggressive behaviors, and we're not even touching the surface of the situation when we look at driving while impaired, alcohol-related motor vehicle accidents, and the like. Giving into the harmful effects of alcohol can change you or someone else's life instantaneously, impacting many, but also putting others in danger. Now let's go back to 1914 in Madison County, North Carolina. World War II veteran Jack Moore was born. Unfortunately, that same year was the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. This occurred five months before Jack was born, and if you remember your history correctly, the beginning of World War I. Now, World War I was a war of trenches, poison gas, and death, and another Madison County man, Freda Ledford, fought in this war for life and country. And of course, Ledford did not fight alone. The state of North Carolina itself sent 86,457 soldiers to fight for the United States on the other side of the Atlantic. In the first five months of World War II combat, 625 North Carolinians were killed in battle, while about 3,655 were wounded, and 240 and so dying later from their wounds. And other than battlefield casualties, you'll remember, again, if you recall your history, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, the worldwide flu epidemic that happened. The Spanish lady came to call the nickname that they gave for the Spanish flu. 1,542 North Carolinians would die of disease while serving, most of them dying from this influenza outbreak. The deadly flu virus ended up coming home with many of the wounded, thus creating a crisis of a different nature in the United States, not to mention other parts of the world. And that's where we get the term Spanish flu, because other countries were holding back their information and releasing information on it. The only way you could get any updates on what was going on was to read Spanish newspapers that were not being edited for content by the government. Now the same can be said also for Jack Moore's war, World War II. More than 362,500 individuals from North Carolina, including 7,000 women, served in the armed forces during World War II, serving in every major theater and battle of the war. Casualties of 6,458 battlefield deaths, with more than 3,000 for North Carolina citizens from other causes. Also impacting the citizens of North Carolina and the citizens of the Appalachian Mountains, not only in North Carolina, but in Kentucky and Virginia and elsewhere. About 10,000 prisoners of war were detained in about 18 military camps in the state of North Carolina. 
This includes the county of Henderson, which is located here in the mountains of western North Carolina. And I wasn't aware that there was a prisoner of war camp there until just recently doing some research. Now our two veterans, survivors of different wars living through the violence in countries far from their homes in the mountains of western North Carolina. On February 2nd, 1955, all of that changed. The two men were now farmers living in the community of Spring Creek in Madison County. They've known each other, had known each other for some time, and it was not unusual for them to get together. Though it was February, weather records show that the temperature had reached over 55 degrees that day, coming from a low of below 32 the night before. Weather extremes in the mountains are not that uncommon. Now, warmer temperatures may have been why Jack Moore showed up at Fred Ledford's house with some locally made whiskey. Both men consumed their share of the liquor. Then around 8.45 that evening, a disagreement between the two men inside the Ledford home. Whatever the reason for the dispute, it escalated. It went from a verbal situation to very quickly a physical altercation. Ledford would state that Moore produced a knife and came at him, claiming he had no choice but to shoot Moore with the shotgun. The round of lead shot pellets hit Moore in the left side of the chest and his left arm. Later, on examination by the elected coroner at that time, on inquest, the coroner ruled that Moore was killed instantaneously with a single shot. Of course, the sheriff's departments responded. Sheriff E.Y. Ponder and Deputy B.K. Meadows arrived on the scene and investigated the body in the crime scene. Deputy Meadows, examining Moore, found an unopened pocket knife in the dead man's hand. There were no witnesses to the shooting available at the time. There were witnesses to the aftermath who arrived after the shot had been fired. Freda Ledford had been removed from the house and taken to the Swannanoa Veterans Administration Hospital south of Asheville, a good distance away. Apparently, Ledford had some very severe knife wounds to his back, arm, and legs that required treatment. Sheriff Ponder reported later that Ledford's condition was listed as fair, according to the hospital. After release from the hospital, Ledford ended up being charged with murder and the death of Jack Moore, and a trial date was set for May 31st of 1955. After a jury was selected and the trial began, only two witnesses are documented in the local media sources, and they're the only ones in the court records as well, though part of the court records are damaged or I can't read them, they're illegible. Ledford did not testify in his trial. The 62-year-old veteran had given statements to both the sheriff and Deputy Meadows while he was at the hospital. Ledford was quoted on the stand by the deputy who was reading the statement that he had issued while he was in the hospital. Ledford had told the deputy that he fired at Jack Moore when Jack advanced on him with a knife. Meadows told the court he found the closed pocket knife in Moore's hand, 
when he examined Moore's body as it lay on the floor of Ledford home in the rural Spring Creek section of the county. Judge Zeb V. Nettles was in charge of Madison County Superior Court that day. Nettles was from Asheville and he denied a defense motion of non-suit as he recessed the court after all the evidence was placed before the jury. The state rested after Meadows and Sheriff E.Y. Ponder testified. Sheriff Ponder testified to finding Moore lying on floor of Ledford's home on the day of the slaying. Victoria, being from England, she was asking me, what is a motion of non-suit? Well, when evidence shows that an element of law fails to meet, the defense counsel will seriously consider the best and most effective way to dispose of this case in their favor. And if successful, a non-suit order dismisses an action or a charge when the opposite side fails to establish prima facie evidence or prima facie case, no probable cause. But in this particular case, Judge Nettles did find probable cause and confirmed that when the warrant was issued for murder, there was probable cause to make the charge of murder. The next day, June 1st, court reconvened. Clothing statements were made by both the state and the defense, and after Judge Nettle provided instructions to the jury, they left the courtroom to decide Ledford's fate. After two hours of deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty of manslaughter, not homicide, not murder. Now it was up to the judge to determine a punishment. Judge Nettles began his review of the facts of the case in order to make his decision. And his final decision was a two to three year sentence to Freda Ledford. Judge Nettles pointed out that Ledford's age, he was 62 years old, which I kind of take as a personal affront myself. 62 years old, ain't that old. Of course, we don't know the condition that Mr. Ledford was physical condition that Ledford was in at that time. So Judge Nettles took his age and his physical condition into consideration when he was making his decision. Also the testimony that it was that it was the victim who had brought the whiskey the men had consumed to Ledford's home was also taking into consideration. I find that interesting. I'm not exactly sure what that really had a lot to do with it. Uh, the sentence was suspended for five years. In addition, Ledford was ordered to pay a $1,000 fine to benefit his victim's widow. Now, the next day, the newspapers carried the headline, Crippled Madison County Farmer Gets Fined in Fatal Shooting. Judge Suspends Two to Three Year Term for Manslaughter. Now, we know that Jack Moore passed away after being shot by Ledford. Jack Moore's tombstone lists that he was a North Carolina veteran who served in World War II. And checking his back military records, I found where he was in a supply company that saw some very serious action 
at Normandy and also while supplying and supporting the troops elsewhere. A supply train that he was riding in with other people, with other men from his unit, uh, crashed, flipping 10 to 15 railroad cars off the line, scattering supplies all over the place, as well as killing several of the other men on board the train. Now, as far as Ledford goes, I wasn't able to even find a death certificate from Mr. Ledford, or nor going through, nor an obituary listed in the uh, newspapers of the, of the time. But we will continue to look and see what we can turn up on Mr. Ledford. And if we get something, we'll let, we'll pass that information along to you guys. That's our Shade of Blue story for today. It's short, but I hope you found it interesting. It's short, but I hope you found it somewhat interesting and looking back at 1955 and how things are connected. Our two veterans who were friends because of apparently alcohol consumption and an argument had a very negative impact on their friendship that reverberated through both their families. Be sure to come back next week, next Saturday at 7 o'clock for another Shade of Blue story. And if you have any thoughts or ideas for possible storylines to research, uh, give us a, drop us a line at felonfile at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're hearing from some individuals from various parts of the United States and actually from different parts of the world. Really neat in itself. Until we have the opportunity to discuss another Shade of Blue story again, or in the coming week, remember, if you have the opportunity, do something nice for somebody. It's really the right thing to do. As well as remember to be safe and secure. Victoria, that's our show. Go ahead and close us out, and we'll talk to y'all later. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to The Felon File Podcast with your host Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, or Scott's books and writings go to scottlunsfordauthor.com and felonfile.com. Scott can also be contacted at these websites. Be sure to check out the stuff page on the website. Pick up a Felon File t-shirt, or coffee mug. You can also support the Felon File podcast by buying us a coffee from the link on the website. This is Victoria your producer. Thank you for listening. 2. 1. End.